John chapter 10 contains two I am statements. Remember, we are in a series. We're looking at the seven I am statements of Jesus. This is statements that he's making about himself. They're clear. They're bold. They're strong, right? I am. He makes two in John chapter 10, just a few short verses from each other. But here's the thing. One of those I am statements is probably one of the most beloved statements that Jesus Christ could ever describe himself as. And one of them is probably one of the most least liked statements. So take a listen. George Rudd is going to read us John chapter 10. Chapter 10, 1 through uh, 13. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hears his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it it, they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees a wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Thank you, George. All right. I am the good shepherd. Does it get more endearing than that? It can't get more endearing than that than Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. Psalm 23 is probably the best known and one of the most, if not the most, loved chapters in all the Bible, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We immediately are comforted by those words, Psalm 23. I'm not sure that I've ever attended or participated in a funeral did not, that did not have the 23rd Psalm in it. People, when I, when I sit down with a family where somebody's passed away and we talk about what scriptures will you want and the suggestion comes about Psalm 23, it's like, oh, yes, we must have that. Very endearing, very, very comforting psalm. People love that psalm. But I am the door. I am the door. Most people hear that. Many people hear that, right? And they bristle at that. That seems offensive and narrow, Right? What they seem to be hearing when you say that, when they hear somebody say that, yeah, Jesus is the door. You don't get through salvation, but through Jesus. Jesus is the door. What they tend to hear is, you're going to hell. And they find that to be extremely harsh. And what's interesting here is, for me, in my limited time on this earth so far, being a minister... This is the number one reason why people say this. They say this. They say, I will not, I will not become, of a, become a Christian because of that statement. I will not. So, so when, when somebody says, okay, well, look, 
Jesus is the door. You have to go through them. And what you're hoping is to say, okay, wow, all right, thank you for telling me that. I'm going to go through the door of Jesus. Instead, what they say is, is because you said that, I'm going to reject Jesus Christ. Because you said, it's, it's odd, isn't it? But here, here I, if I can dig just a little bit deeper. It feels as if when they say that, at least when you know, I have conversations, it feels as if when they say that, it's almost clear that they're saying, I'm not rejecting Jesus, I'm just rejecting the religion that bears his name. Do you, do you get the difference? And it's very strong. Now, I've had a number of other people say, you know what, people that I come in contact with, family and friends, they feel the same way. It's the number one reason that they're saying there's no way I'm ever going to become a Christian because of statements just like that. So we, find it, we bristle, we find it offensive, we find it very, very narrow. This is not good. What I want to suggest to you today is there is a misunderstanding about that, and we need to put the statement, I am the door, in its proper context, because there's a very strong context here. I'm going to do, this is a two-part message on Born to be Wild. We're in a seven-week series, but in this, these next week, today and Palm Sunday, which is next week, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to get as far as we can today, and we're going to finish up next week, because these two I am statements are very, very important. What my hope is here is that once we understand the context in which Jesus made that bold statement, I am the door, we'll say, you know what? I no longer am shy from talking to people about the I am statement. Or if you're here today and you bristle at that and that, and you're like, look, I'm not a follower of Christ, and that's one of the reasons I'm not a follower of Christ is because statements like that. I'm hoping that maybe you'll leave here and say, you know what? I'm very excited. Actually, it is... Like, if each of these I am statements had their own Facebook page, right? I'm hoping that when we leave here, the likes on I am the door would go exponentially up. Does that make sense, what I'm after here today? So I'm going to try to give this its context. So let's pray, because we're going to need God's help for this to take place. Lord, help us. Speak to us. You made a very clear statement here. Help us to understand what you were saying. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we need understanding, and I believe that there's a serious misunderstanding about something that's here. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody walked in and maybe you were doing something or what, whatever, you were misunderstood in some way, and either they were laughing at you or they were upset with you or something, but there was just a serious misunderstanding. Something happened to me that I'll never forget a number of years, it actually happened in 1997, I had taken a two-week trip to Israel. I went to Israel with my seminary, and I came back, and I had uh, told my wife before I left, I said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get, get you a gift. And so I'd already built up the excitement about that. And when I came back, what I brought her was mud from Israel. And uh, <laughs> for some reason, she found that extraordinarily offensive. Uh, that I brought the, the, the mud back from Israel, and boy, did hell come down uh, on that. But uh, I want to explain something that I probably should have done, and now after all these years, I understand that I should have done a much better job of building up the context for the mud. Why did you bring mud? So if I can explain it here really quick to you, maybe it will change your opinion of me, because some of you are here looking at, why, you're such an idiot, how could you do that, you're so stupid. So if I, just real quick, <laughs> a few things. All right. 
Israel was off the charts to me. Awesome. Off the charts. You know, I've been reading the Bible for many years, and to go to Israel and, and actually see with your eyes something that you have studied so much. I mean, I can't even, I can't even explain. And what I found myself with, it probably a hundred times when I was Israel, constantly saying, oh my gosh, this is awesome. I wish she was here with me. And the, she is this one here in the green sweater over here. She, oh, oh, why can't she be here with me? And I did that over and over. And even though it was so awesome, so incredible, the awesomeness of Israel was diminished for me because she wasn't with me. And I found something that was so phenomenal to me as visiting the land of Israel severely diminished and incomplete because my wife, Krista, wasn't with me. Now, listen, I, you know, I visited all these when I was like at the Sea of Galilee. I said, oh, man, I wish she could see this. When I was up at Masada, you know, I, would, I remember I was at Masada and it's like stepping back 2000 years in time. And there was only one modern day thing up. There was a payphone, And I'm a very cheap person. But I said, I'm going to pay the money and I'm going to make this phone call to her in the middle of the night. Just say, you can't believe this. I wish you were here with me. I called her in the middle of the night. It was like three o'clock in the morning here. And she's like, why are you calling me? But I did that. I go, want you to be here and down at the Dead Sea, all of this kind of stuff. And so I thought to myself, what am I going to bring her back? Right? Am I going to bring her some kind of trinket, some kind of necklace? Israel's famous for diamonds. Should I bring her diamonds back? Would she really want diamonds? No, she wouldn't want diamonds. What? What I want to bring her back is I want to bring her the land back because I wish she walked the land with me. That's how important the relationship is to me. Do you understand? I wanted her to bring a piece of the land back with me. Now, that's why I bought her mud. Two things we have to know about John chapter 10 in the context of it. The first thing, not two things. Here's number one you have to know. You must read John chapter 10 through the lens of John chapter 9. Critically important. I hope, hope that you've read it. If not, please, not now, but when you go home today, just read John chapter 9. Let me give you the skinny on it. There was a man. He was born blind. Poor guy. Guy's born blind. You know what's bad enough? To live in those days. Think of how difficult it is to live in our world today if you're blind. Can you imagine living back then when you're blind? All right? Nobody's caring for you. Life is just incredibly hard. Now listen, listen. Not only is he born blind. Not only is that terrible he's born blind. But he lives with accusation. Accusation. Read John chapter 9. Everybody's asking the question. This guy must be a sinner. That's why he's born. He must have done some terrible sin. And God's punished him. So he's born blind. And if he didn't do it, his parents did it. So not only is it to live with blindness, but he has to walk around in a community. And when you're blind, your ears like get more powerful, right? That's what I hear. He can hear all the sinner, sinner, sinner. So he's living under that. He's living under that terrible thing. And so Jesus' disciples say to Jesus, all right, who was it, Jesus? Was it him or his parents that sinned or both of them? Jesus says, that's ridiculous. It's absolute. And so Jesus heals him. Long story short. The Pharisees, the spiritual leaders of Israel, get upset that Jesus heals him. And at the end of the chapter, what do they do? What, what? Notice this. This is no coincidence, everybody. They show him the door. They show him the door. They shut the door on him and say, you're out, which is symbolic of you're out of the synagogue, right? Yes, that's true. You're out of the kingdom. You think it's any coincidence that Jesus comes along and says, wait a minute, I am the door. I'm the door. 
It's about failed spiritual leadership. That's the first context. Second context is just like it. You find in John chapter 10, verse number 22, if you're following along there in your Bible, it says, it talks about this happened during the Feast of Dedication. What's the Feast of Dedication? We know it as Hanukkah. Everybody familiar with Hanukkah? Right? Happy Hanukkah. What is Happy Hanukkah all about? It's about the rededication of the temple. Terrible things had happened. And what did they do during Hanukkah? They asked hard questions amongst each other about the failures of the spiritual leadership of Israel. Because during Hanukkah, they remember the time when the Greek ruler Antiochus Epiphanes came in and corrupted through his soldiers and everything. They corrupted the temple. They corrupted temple worship. And the priest of Israel had so much to do with opening the door to that corruption because either they were wicked, either they were wicked, or they were just totally self-centered about what they could get out of it. And so deals were cut, and on and on it goes. But spiritual, corrupt spiritual leadership leads to the demise of the temple worship, leads to a pig being slaughtered in the temple, and the blood of the pig being sprayed everywhere leads to the abuse of thousands and thousands of people, people being murdered, children being murdered, terrible things happen. And the priest, everybody, had that to do with that, Okay. So they would talk about that and they would remember how spiritual leadership failed them as it just has failed them in John chapter 9. Here's some of the verses. I won't give you it all, but this is the kind of stuff that they would read during the feast of day, during happy Hanukkah. They would read Ezekiel 34. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty, you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts of the fields when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. Now, Isaiah just says it very shortly, as you can see, as I put right here, Isaiah 56, 10. It just says the spiritual leaders are dumb as dogs. I have a dumb dog in my life, (laughs) but I won't talk about that dog right now. Jeremiah 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against the shepherds who feed my people. You've scattered my flock, driven them away and not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you. I kind of like that. It's very ominous. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil of your doings, says the Lord. This context, everybody, is all about failed spiritually. It's all about the fact that spiritual leadership Every ounce of it, every, every single one is imperfect. All of us, all of us, I'm imperfect. Why? Because all human beings are imperfect. Now, let's bring this closer to home. Let's bring this a little bit closer. How do you feel when you experience firsthand or you hear about somebody who has experienced firsthand a leadership failure, particularly spiritual leadership failure? Somebody has been failed or been taken advantage of by a spiritual leader, financially, emotionally, sexually, some other way. How do you feel about that? Does it make you angry? Does your heart break when you hear about things like that happening? That's what's happening for Jesus. His heart is broken and he's angry in John chapter 10 at failed spiritual leadership. 7 a.m.
this Wednesday morning, 7 a.m. this Wednesday morning. I'm driving down the road. Turn on WTOP to listen to the news, to hear the national news. Top story is what? What do you guess on Wednesday morning, 7 o'clock, national news top story is? Anybody want to launch a guess? Big. Pope. We're electing a pope. What's story number two? Story number two is Cardinal Roger Mahoney is in the Sistine Chapel voting on the pope. Who's Cardinal Mahoney? Cardinal Mahoney is cardinal out in Los Angeles. Cardinal Mahoney is one person, one of the cardinals, who there's strong evidence showing that he, he aggressively shielded predator priests who molested children, and he, he did some of the most to shield them, reassigning, he shielded from police, he, he reassigned priests to different parishes after it was known that they had molested, that he, one of the most aggressively, had done this, and here he is in the Sistine Chapel voting on the next pope. That's story number two. And I thought, wow, how interesting. I'm reading nothing about failed spiritual leadership, right? And we've got story one and two about this issue. Does that make you angry? I hope it makes you angry. It should make you angry. When somebody is taken advantage of and mistreated in such a terrible way. Now, in case you think I'm picking on the Catholic Church, I want you to know that I am not. Failed leadership is everywhere, both spiritual and non-spiritual. It is absolutely everywhere. Catholic, Protestant, Buddhist, Hindu, Muslim failures. What this story is about is that people are imperfect and will fail. That's what it's about. And should not be given too much power. Other leaders fail us too. Our political leaders fail us. Can you say sequestration can you say that sequestration can you say that with me sequestration our financial leaders fail us don't they can you say 2008 2008 what i'm saying is is this is all about the failure of leadership and it is across the board and in john chapter 10 jesus christ heart is broken over failed leadership and about people who are being abused as a result of that leadership. And it is in this context that Jesus Christ makes a clear, bold, powerful statement. I am the door. Now, can you think of anybody else who you want to be the door that stands between you and eternity besides Jesus Christ? Just think about that. What Jesus is saying, and here's the fill in the blank that I'd like you to consider writing down on the back of your bulletin, is Jesus Christ is saying, when he says, I am the door, he's saying, I alone will decide your eternity. I alone will decide your eternity. Remember that poor guy from John chapter 9, the blind guy that was uh, born blind, living in a life of accusation? They showed him the door. And on the heels of that, Jesus Christ comes along and says, well, I am the door. You think you've showed this guy the door, but I want it to be clear. I have showed him the door and this door to come in. Shut him out of the synagogue. There are, in Matthew 23, a very interesting chapter for all of us to read in the Bible. Matthew chapter 23. Just as there are seven I am statements of Jesus Christ, in Matthew 23, there are what we call the seven woes. W-O-E. The seven woes. Woes. You know what woe number one is? I want to read it to you. And if you have your Bible, you should follow along. Matthew 23, verses 13 and 14, the very first woe. And look, when you see woe in the Bible, I mean, it's, it's like God is um, very serious. 
saying, whoa, you, you, better, you better back up. You better back up. So here's what he says. Jesus Christ speaking, Matthew 23, 13. Woe to you, first of all, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. First woe is they're shutting the kingdom on people's faces. Where does this get us into trouble? This is very nice to talk about, but where does this get into trouble? So somebody asks the question. This happens all the time. It happens in your life. It happens in your community. And it happens on television. It happens on radio. Somebody will say, okay, so are you saying... Does this person, and you fill in the blank, this person or this group of people, are you saying they go to hell? Questions asked all the time. People want to get right to the bottom line. Say, so uh, this person over here is not a follower of Christ, or this person's never even heard about Jesus Christ. So what you're saying is, is that person's going to hell. And invariably, majority of the time when I've seen that question asked, the Christian answers. He answers that question. He or she answers that question. And what I'm going to suggest to you today is you should not be answering that question because you or I, none of us, are qualified to answer that question. See, when Jesus Christ says this statement, I am the door, those two words, I am, means deity, divine, God. And unless you are God, it means you're disqualified from even answering the question. I don't think people have a problem so much with Jesus Christ being the door. I think they have a problem with somebody else being his spokesperson. This is something, well, we want to evangelize the world for Christ and tell people about Jesus Christ. And instead, when we answer this question, we're driving them as fast as we can. They're running like a sprint away from Jesus Christ, was exactly what we don't want them to do. To be very, very careful about answering questions that are not our question. How do we answer? Yes, no. Instead, we should simply come up with our own I am statement. Somebody asks me that question, I say, I am not the door. I am not the door. You'll go have to go and ask the door which is not me, I am unqualified to answer. You ever had a conversation with somebody, two people, two people, and you've got person A, and you're asking person A a question, you've got person B, and you keep asking person A, and person B keeps answering? Do you find that annoying? Okay. We need to let person A, who is God Almighty, answer that question, because he's the only one that is absolutely qualified to answer that question. Let me tell you something else that goes on. Um, Maybe you've seen this. I've, I've, um, I've done, uh, been a part of a lot of weddings in my life. And a lot of times I'll be in large groups of people and someone will say something about the bride and groom, like where are they going or what are they doing, blah, blah, blah. And they'll ask this question. There'll be like this long pregnant pause because nobody, nobody knows the answer. And then all of, some, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, somebody will jump up because they do know the answer and they're like, well, they're doing this. And it's like they feel good about themselves because nobody else knows the answer of this very important couple right now. Do you follow what I'm saying? They're, and like all of a sudden, they become the super answer. Da-da-da! I have the answer! It's kind of similar with this situation here. Do you, are you tracking with me? 
Somebody comes along to us, which is a crazy question, so you tell me about somebody's eternal destiny. You tell me about somebody's eternal And da-da-da, I will answer. It's um, arrogant. It's arrogant. Jesus Christ, I am, I am statements, right? Deity, divine, only one qualified to answer that, all right? Let me give you something else. Jesus Christ says this, John 10, verse number 16. Very important thing that he says here. Look, it's, I got it on your notes. It's probably on the screen behind me. Surprise sheep. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Every Bible scholar, New Testament scholar that I read on this subject basically says the same thing. There are surprise sheep. You know what is the basic ingredients of a surprise? You're surprised by it. You're surprised by it. So if somebody comes to me and say, so this group of people or this person, right, they don't have Jesus, never heard about Jesus, so you're saying they're going to hell. And I say, oh, yeah, there's no way they're getting in. I never let them in, right? And then all of a sudden, surprise, I get there. So it means there's something I'm going to be surprised about. There's something I'm going to be surprised about that I'm totally disqualified to answer because I have limited knowledge. Did I just make sense what I said? I have, and the only one who contains the pure knowledge is Jesus Christ himself. We must allow Jesus Christ to answer this question because we are unqualified and are working off of very limited knowledge to answer this question basic question now since it is nca tournament time everybody knows what this is right who can tell me what this is what am i doing come on yell it out sports fans come give me something i take out a 30 second timeout take out a 30 give me a 30 you want a full no i want a 30 give me a 30 second timeout timeout okay sorry for those of you who don't watch basketball look real quick am i saying am i advocating universal salvation because when I have discussions with people about stuff like this, they think, well, you're saying just everybody's getting saved. Am I advocating you? No, I'm not at all, a- at all. I'm not talking about that because the Bible doesn't advocate that, doesn't indicate that at all, at all. Am I saying, number two, that you can't be assured of your salvation in Jesus Christ? I'm not saying that at all either because the Bible says we can be assured of our salvation. Here's what I'm saying. Ready? Here's what I'm saying. Don't answer the question. Not more complex than that. Not more complex than that. You're unqualified. I'm unqualified to answer the question. I'm limited knowledge. You're limited knowledge. Not qualified. That's all I'm saying. And maybe if we'll start doing that, maybe people will stop running from Jesus Christ and instead start running to Jesus Christ. Because I don't think they have a problem with Jesus Christ. I just think they have a problem with his spokespersons. That's all I'm saying there. I want to say, I'm out of time. I do want to say two other things, and uh, I'm not going to say it because I'm not going to run over anymore. It's 1030. So we'll conclude this next week. Um, let, me, let, me, let me stop by saying this, um, though. Think about this. Just think. Whether it's you and you're trying to make a decision about Jesus Christ or you have a friend who is of no faith at all or of another faith, I want you to think, and I prefer you going along this line of track of thinking, Okay. Who else do you want standing in that door between you and eternity? Can you think of anybody else that you would like to stand at that door, people? Can you think of anybody? The story of Jesus Christ is the greatest story ever told and utterly unique. 
utterly unique. It is the thing of fairy tales. A powerful and good prince has come down and will look beyond all of our imperfections and weaknesses and will still lay his life down for us with joy. Is there another story like that? Do you want anybody else deciding your destiny but Jesus Christ? Is there another God that we've heard about on this planet who comes down out of heaven to walk with us? Tell me about that God. I really want to know. We conceive of gods and we conceive of them through our own eyes. And so what gods do is they stay up here. They, they, they never come down here. Right? Sequestration. Everybody takes a cut. Who doesn't take a cut? All right? I'm sorry if you're a congressman or senator here today. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what I'm saying. But the story of Jesus Christ, the greatest story ever told, he comes down, he humbles himself, he takes the pay cut with us, leaves his throne on high, he walks amongst us, he washes our feet, and he serves us. You know, what we're going to do here in a couple, it's where it's almost Easter. We've got Palm Sunday coming up next week. Do you, you know what Pilate did when he brought out Jesus before the people? To say, do you want him to let, let him go free? You know what he did? He went down into his prison. And he said, find me a guilty Jesus. Barabbas' his name was Jesus. I don't have time to explain that right now. Trust me. His name was Jesus. Find me a Jesus in this prison. And he stands up two Jesuses. One that's utterly guilty and one that's totally innocent. And they said, release the guilty one. Now God was sending us a message. He takes our place. None of us are perfect. All of us know when we get really honest with ourselves, none of us are perfect. I don't care if you're a Christian or a Buddhist or a Hindu. All of us know we are not perfect, but he is. He is. And he substitutes his life. Tell me of another God like that. Who else do you want standing at that door, everybody? I'm hoping that today you'll walk out and say, you know what, that I am statement, I am the door, is absolutely awesome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your kindness. Thank you that you love us so much and that you seek us and pursue us. Find us and save us. And that you are the doorway to eternity. I can't think of anybody else who I want standing at that door. Bless us, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen.